Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, September the 24th, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and put on our Christ goggles in Leviticus chapter 10. As we started Leviticus, we talked about how the Lord is holy, therefore you should be holy. And it reminds us of this today as we see the unholiness of the world, but our Lord who continues to be holy. And we see how why it's important to put on our Christ goggles, because if we don't, Story time today would not be wonderful by any means, but we hear it, and ultimately at the end, we will see Christ, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome with us Reverend Dr. Mark Burkholz of Zion Lutheran Church in Naperville, Illinois. Uh, Excuse me. Uh, Pastor Burkholz, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you very much for having me. So, Dr. Burkholz, you are, um, well, this is our first time together in Thy Strong Word, but you are... Brand new in a new congregation. I mean, we I had a whole list of you being at one church, and then I call you like, oh, I'm actually at this church, and you were just installed. So, Pastor, tell us about, introduce yourself, your family, and the, well, the new church that you are now at. Thank you very much. Yes, I was installed uh, from the grace of God on Sunday afternoon here at Zion, Naperville. Uh, Naperville is uh, in the kind of western suburbs of Chicago. It used to be its own town, but everything has really grown together. Congregation used to be out in the farm fields. It's over 150 years old, but uh, now it's almost full-blown suburbia out here. But a a great group of uh, leaders and members here who are devoted to following God's Word and receiving His gifts and sharing that with the neighborhood here. I'm still in the process of moving. That's Saturday's plan, but uh, (laughs) I'm glad to be here with my wife, Amber Lee. Uh, She works with our local uh, library as a uh, associate with the Children Youth Department. I have been blessed along with her with uh, two children. Uh, Zachary Michael is uh, soon to be 12. Uh, his big thing right now is the Navy League. He's thinking about a career in the Navy one day, so he's getting a lot of experience along those lines. And Elizabeth uh, just turned 10. She's our little dancer. She's uh, involved in lots of different programs. She'll be in a production of The Nutcracker this year. They weren't able to hold it last year, so she's excited to be back with that again, uh, working towards that in a couple months. So a uh, big time of transition, but the good thing is that God's Word remains uh, solid and sure. He doesn't change no matter how much life and different circumstances around us may may change uh, throughout the course of our life. So we're, we're happy to have that solid foundation, that rock of uh, Christ to continue to build our life upon, whether it's here, there, or wherever He may happen, happen to send us. And you know what, Pastor? That's uh, thank you for highlighting that because I think about when you move, like during seminary. You know, we kind of move a lot. You know, you move to Sam, you might move a few times. If you get married, you move off campus. You go to Vicarage, you come back, you go to your first call, and you kind of lose sight a little bit about how traumatic <laughs> a move can yeah. be. And for you, you were describing it's not really that big of a move, but doesn't mean it's any less exhausting of a process. And so that's, I think, a a good reminder for us and for you, our listeners, to pray for our pastors and really anybody who has to transition to a new job, 
to a new home, um, not only for the, the person who's moving or the pastor and his wife, but clearly his children as well. Um, it's cool to hear they're, they're still involved. They didn't have to move that far. They can still kind of keep those connections, but still, it can be traumatizing. So we ask for the Lord's peace. And as you said, everything may change, but the word of God doesn't. And that's the joy that we have here in Thy Strong Word. Anything else you want to highlight before we dig in, Pastor? No, I'm just anxious to get into this text. It's a, a very interesting account here, and I'm sure we'll have a lot of uh, discussion on it. Well, wonderful. So how about this? As we begin to search the scriptures this morning, can you begin our time in prayer? Certainly. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of your people and for including us along in with all that you have and continue to be doing here in our world. Uh, we ask your, your blessing as we open again your word and hear you speaking to us and as your Holy Spirit is at work in and, and through uh, this word that you have given to us. Uh, today we give thanks for, for Jesus Christ as being our intermediary, our great high priest, the one who bore our guilt, uh, who took the burden of our, our sin and all of its consequences upon himself uh, to keep us safe to, uh, and then impart us with the holiness that comes from you. Uh, bless our pastors, our, our people, everyone who uh, is preparing again to come before you on Sunday to receive your gifts and to continue to be strengthened uh, through your word and sacrament. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder to everyone, if you have any questions concerning Leviticus, this can be three lessons ago. We've been blessed with great teachers, um, as we are today, to look at Leviticus. And I'm always humbled, um, because every time you send out a request, and, and Jenny Williams does that here in KFUO. You, you know, you look at the Gospel of John, or you look at the Book of Acts, and a normal parish pastor or even a professor is like, I can do that. I can study that for a little bit. I'm good. But Leviticus, that can be quite the challenge. So I know the guys who said yes to Leviticus, they are serious. So ask questions because they are ones who enjoy the Bible, love the Bible, and obviously Dr. Burkholz is one of those. So, Dr. Burkholz, as we look at the text today, what do you think is a good way for us to start or start us off with some of your introductory or background thoughts as we look at chapter 10? Okay, so if you remember from, from yesterday, we have this uh, inauguration, this beginning of the priesthood with uh, Aaron and his sons being ordained and then beginning this process of offering these uh, these gifts to the Lord on his altar. So we've moved a little bit from the, the pure description of all these different sacrifices and offerings in the first few chapters of Leviticus onto actually putting these into action. And the previous chapters, 8 and 9, everything is flowing well. It's Everything is, seems to be uh, going the way that God has intended. But here in chapter 10, all of a sudden we get this surprise. Things uh, don't proceed according to plan. Uh, which is a reminder of our own sinfulness, our own failure sometimes to keep even uh, the basic instructions and commands of God, and the fact that there are real consequences to those, that we can't just uh, ignore sin or pretend like it's not a big deal. But uh, here we see in in real life, in real terms, uh, the, the actual consequences of not keeping God's commands and trying to do things our way and trying to do what we think might be best. And so the, these first few verses, it, it gives us a real stark reminder of what happens when we uh, disobey God and we try to do things our way. 
it definitely is a reminder, be holy as the Lord is holy. And, and that's why we've, like you said so well, chapters 8 and 9, we, we see why we need priests because we're not holy. We see the whole process. We, and it just looks nice. It's kind of like a nice vision statement at a church. Or when you look at the Constitution and bylaws of a congregation, you're like, hey, that looks pretty good. Like we could, we're doing pretty well. Like you just follow this, this, and this, and guess what? It's just going to be, and I say this, and I, I love saying it, gravy train with biscuit wheels. I mean, everything's just going wonderful. And then we get to chapter 10. So <laughs> it's just a reminder of our brokenness and our need for holiness from the Lord. So anything else before we dig into this? Like you said, the, only the first few verses. No, I think we're ready to get going. Here. All right. So chapter 10, reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture, and we'll read the first three verses, Leviticus chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord Yahweh, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord Yahweh. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord Yahweh has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Now, Pastor, there's, there's a lot there in three verses. It's really way too simple. We don't see the emotions. We don't see the feelings. In some ways, we're not really full sure why this happened. How would you break that down? Especially, you're teaching, I mean, imagine this. You're teaching Bible study. And this is the story, and it goes, okay, this is the word of the Lord. And I, some people be like, I don't know if I want to say thanks be to God. Um, so how would you tell this story, and what just happened? Okay, well, we have to know who the players are and kind of the, set the scene here. Uh, we've got Aaron and his, his sons, Nadab and Abihu. And, and we've, we've been introduced to these these folks, and we know that they've received this instruction from the Lord. Uh, and there's a problem, things go wrong. Uh, they're getting ready to offer incense before the Lord, again, which is, seems like a good thing, like a right, holy thing to do. Uh, but there's a problem with the fire, and there, we'll see fire showing up uh, quite a bit in this chapter. Uh, so the first thing to really tackle is what, what are they doing here? Uh, what's going on? Uh, and that will lead us into why is it such a big deal? Why are these such uh, drastic consequences for what either was an honest mistake or may seem to be uh, just a, a minor minor change in the, uh, the order of service here? Uh, so a lot of it hinges on that, that phrase, unauthorized, or the older translation probably reads something like strange fire. Uh, you know, why is What's going on here, and why is this, this a big deal? Uh, if you remember, if you can kind of picture the way that the, the tabernacle was set up, uh, there was that altar for uh, the whole burnt offering, that, excuse me, that altar of sacrifice there in the, uh, in the courtyard. And this is where we just kind of concluded chapter 9, where the fire came out from the altar and uh, consumed the offerings. That's verse 24. Uh, and that was a, a glorious thing you mentioned. This was a, 
kind of brings ends on a, a high note. Things are going well. You know, the gravy train is rolling. <laughs> things are good. And when the incense was to be offered, it was that fire from the uh, that altar that was to be used for the the coals to uh, get the incense going. Uh, if you've never used incense, it's it's kind of tricky to do. Some people think, well, you just set the incense on fire and it goes. Uh, well, actual incense, you know, this this frankincense, it's a tree sap, and it's not really flammable. Uh, you need a fire to be burning that creates that source of heat, and then when you put the incense on it, it's smoldering and it's smoking and it's uh, creates that aroma and that sight. It's kind of a multi-sensory experience. And so you got to get that fire from somewhere. And remember, again, thinking about the time, you know, we're talking thousands of years ago, they're not going to pull out their lighter. They're not going to have a, a box of matches. They've got to have a, a regular source of fire. And, and what they were supposed to do was to take this fire that the Lord had lit, that he had created as then uh, the source for uh, the, the incense to be burned. And somehow... Uh, Nadab and Abihu chose to use other fire. We don't know where this fire came from. We don't know uh, what their reasoning was for not doing it the Lord's way, but for whatever reason, they decide to do it their own way, and they then become the one that the source of this fire. And so all of a sudden now, worship is not about the Lord and what he does, but it's about the priests and what they're doing. Uh, and so they're taking the focus of, upon, away from the Lord as a source of holiness and life and blessing. And that's really why this is such a big deal, not that they're choosing the wrong um, you know, one, one source over another. It's just fire is fire. What's the big deal? But the idea is where is this fire coming from? What is the source of uh, this, this life and this blessing and this holiness? And if it's anything other than the Lord where you're trying to receive your holiness and, and then to be standing in front of the people as an example to them, that becomes a serious problem. And I like how you said that, because it brings, it just brings some ways that we operate in our culture, which is uh, like Burger King, you know, uh, uh, have it your way. Um, right. You have, and this is really lame and I really apologize. Anybody who grew up in the nineties by saying this, but the backstreet boys, I want it my way. I want it that way. Right. You know, it's, it's my way. It's my way. And, and you feel like you, you never really grow up. And here's an example of wanting it my way, because you read this and you think, well, what's the big deal? He just made a little mistake. He wanted the fire. But the, the point of it was the Lord said this and you did that. So that's, I mean, is that as simple as it comes in this, in this text? That, that's a good way to kind of reduce it down. And, <laughs> yes, got it. <laughs> and then, yeah, to, to, to kind of reemphasize that if, if, if it's my way, then I'm putting myself up as the rival to God. Mm. Uh, it's not as though, you know, God's given me all these options and I'm going to choose one and you can choose another and we can all get along here. Uh, but when you decide to do things your way rather than God's way, that's, that's essentially that's the, that's the definition of sin. That's you know exactly what Adam and Eve did at the beginning. What we all do when we decide, you know, God's got His way of doing things, but I've got better ideas. I've I've got other notions as to the best way to do things, and it, it doesn't just have to do with with worship, um, but anything in life where God has given us His His clear direction and 
construction, and we decide that you know my way is the better way. So much like saying um, that I have put myself up to a god. I put myself up to god level. Is that is that is that a, a way to step it up a notch? Right. You know, it's it's it's, it's idolatry, and you're you're yeah setting yourself up like God, Adam and Eve, wanting to be like God, and uh, there's really no room for for two two gods, especially when you're in the temple or the tabernacle at this point, and uh, you never, as pastors, this is always a uh, a challenge for us too, is we don't want to draw attention to ourselves and make worship all about me and put the focus on on you personally as people come to hear me preach or to see the way that I conduct the liturgy or that I lead the prayers and there's always that danger that then people become so attached to the personality of the pastor as an individual that that can actually get in the way of, of God himself. That's a great reminder too. And that's another call to prayer for you, our listeners, is to pray for your pastors to be humble. At the same time, for all of us, whoever we um, would see as a mentor or a pastor or a father confessor um, for pastors and others, is to uh, pray for humility for them, pray that we are focusing on the right thing. And this is something we talked about with Dr. Kevin Golden on Wednesday, was the reality of all the, uh, the, the rituals and everything was to make it obvious that it was not about the priest, it was about the Lord. And that's the same thing we have to remember. It's just not about us, it's about the Lord and the gifts that he gives to us. So that thank you for pulling us back into that. Um, reminder, because it's easy in Leviticus to get caught in the weeds. So that's that's a great reminder for us. So, Pastor, in, in verses three, uh, verse three, excuse me, is and it says, okay, this is what the Lord said, and then it gets to some confusing language. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified before all the people. I will be glorified, and Aaron held his peace. So there's two things going on. The Lord you know, Moses speaks about the Lord. And then the, the Lord has says this, and then Aaron doesn't say anything. So what's going on there? Right, so this kind of gives the explanation as to why this is, is such a big deal. Uh, so we've got, there is not a lot here, but these are some really rich words that are uh, packed with, with meaning here. Uh, so Moses is speaking to Aaron. Uh, so he says, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, or uh, I will be regarded or treated as holy. So that's kind of the first clue as to what's going on here, is that uh, the reason why this outbreak happened against uh, these two priests is they were not treating the Lord as as holy. Uh, they were uh, regarding, uh, they were using what was common, uh, what was not set apart for use in God's presence, that is, this uh, fire. Uh, and uh, if you've kind of been going through this this book of Leviticus, it's very, very important to recognize what is holy and what is not holy, because uh, anything that is not holy in the presence of the holy God simply cannot stand. It must must be destroyed. It just, the, the two don't, don't mix. So that's kind of the, the first line here, is that uh, God is holy, and so you cannot bring things that are strange or unauthorized or, or sinful into that presence. And then he talks about uh, he will be glorified, that the, the glory of his presence will be there 
uh, in the presence of his people. Uh, that that glory is that 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 word for the the physical presence, that manifestation of God uh, here with his people. That led the people through the wilderness that is now present in the tabernacle, that he is present with his people, and it's not uh, it's not a game, it's not a pretend or just some sort of idea. And sometimes we uh, think of God as this, this someone who's distant or in our hearts or in our thoughts or in our minds, but not necessarily physically present here with us. And in that fire in that uh, tabernacle, uh, there was God with his people. And as we saw in the previous chapters, up to eight and, eight and nine, this can be a glorious, this can be a glorious thing. This could, could be a wonderful blessing in pr- providing them with forgiveness, life, and salvation. Uh, but when you disregard the holiness of God and try to coexist with his glory, uh, it becomes uh, something that will ultimately end in your own destruction. And that's something I remember when I was going through Old Testament classes during seminary. It was just kind of shocking to me when it talked about basically, you know, if you are trying to be in the presence of God without blood or without Jesus, you basically are disintegrated because there's no room for you there. And I remember because, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s and and, you know, kind of like, well, wait a second, I'm, I'm pretty special here. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty important person in this whole process. What do you mean by that? And it really brings us, you can't help but see Christ in this, because how are we going to be in God's presence while the holiness of Christ is the one that, well, you know, that, that brings you into that presence? And, and I, I do wish, and this is simply a wish, that there was, you kind of broke the story down a little more because that would be traumatizing for those who are around, right? I mean, people would see this and, oh, my gosh. But Aaron just holds his peace. What, what do you have to say about Aaron and what how he responds? Uh, well, he's, I, again, I can't imagine what Aaron is going through because <laughs> he's just watched two of his sons uh, fall to their death here as they've been serving the Lord. Right. Uh, and you would expect him to be um, outraged, to be overcome with grief, lots of different emotions that you would expect just naturally for a father to have after witnessing the, the traumatic death of two of his sons right now. And it's almost miraculous that Aaron doesn't argue with Moses or uh, try to justify uh, what, his, what his sons did. That, that, as, as a parent... Mm-hmm. We, we often try to give our, our children the benefit of the doubt, and maybe even if it's not correct, we stick up for them when perhaps we might be better off um, acknowledging their, their problems and their faults. But here he's, uh, he's just silent in the face of, of um, this, this instruction, almost this, this rebuke that's coming through Moses. So we, we, we get the basics of the story as it moves forward from here. So I want to make sure that we have all this, because this does lay the foundation for the rest of the chapter, and it, and it, puts, it puts everything into, um, into, into focus about why the sin offerings and the peace offerings and the guilt offerings and the wave offering and the ordination and the priesthood and everything are important because of this reality. So I want to ask, Pastor Burkholz, do you have anything else in those first three verses uh, before we move on? So just as we move into this, the main thing to pull from this is how 
how dangerous it can be if you uh, have disregard for for the Lord and his gifts and treat them in a casual manner, uh, which is going to be the foundation for what we move on to here. That imagine if you are one of the, the, the worshipers there at the tabernacle or one of these other priests, you're going to be scared to death to go anywhere near the tabernacle if this can be a deadly thing for you. So how do we allow for access to the, the good things of God, and, but not in a way that is so uh, intimidating that people are uh, running the other direction? And that's really where we're going to go with the rest of this chapter. I'm going to say this, because I remember the old Luther movie. In that old Luther movie, they showed the time where he you know, was consecrating the elements, and he was holding up you know, the, the host, and he was holding up the cup, and he was absolutely terrified while he was doing that. You saw, you saw the priest who came up to him at, after this done and helped him put it down and make sure that he's okay because he's shaking in his boots. I never thought about that here is if you're a priest and you see this happen, you're like, you're going to kind of lose your mind if you have to you know, start the incense. You're going you're gonna to kind of lose your mind when you're doing the holy things because you don't know if you're next. So it's a good reminder for us, where are we to lean? And obviously for Luther, that was the grace of God. And throughout the rest of this time, that is important for us to remember as well. So let's keep moving forward, verses 4 through 7, as we continue in God's word. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the son of Uzadel, the the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled, and do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. So now we we see some more of the family uh, that comes out, and there's a warning. What what are they telling us here? Well, basically what's going on here is that uh, Aaron and his, his other sons, the brothers of the priests who have just died, are not to participate in the funeral or the mourning or anything for these two priests who have died. They're not to handle their bodies. Uh, They're not to give these visual uh, cues that they're in mourning, as most people would uh, tear their clothes. They would uh, ruffle up their hair so that it looked a little bit more disheveled uh, and maybe go and spend some time in mourning. Uh, But their priestly service here supersedes what would be the normal uh, family responsibilities at the time of death. And so there's kind of some interesting thoughts here, but right now we need to take our break. We are studying Leviticus chapter 10 with Pastor Mark Buchholz, and we will be right back. Setting up in the dance, Hamas, Mistry Lopez, that soup and nature it show here. 
This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying Leviticus chapter 10 with Pastor Mark Burkholz. And as we look at this, uh, Pastor, it, it, it is kind of refreshing, but, you know, it's kind of interesting. that in, At the end of our last reading, it says, And they did according to the word of Moses. So this time they listened. Uh, any thoughts on that, that they fulfilled God's law now um, after they saw what happened before? Well, it probably would be a, a stark reminder to uh, be careful and do do what you're told. <laughs> uh, but but uh, you know, hopefully there's a, there's a positive side too that they're uh, maybe now taking their responsibilities as priests a little bit more more seriously as far as what their responsibility is, which is uh, primarily to the Lord and to His people, uh, even when it may go against what your uh, normal instinct might be with with family and. Pastors and, and Christians in general do run into this from time to time where your own instincts as members of a family may be pulling you in one direction, um, but when the Lord gives you another direction, that's really the way you want to go. There's, Unfortunately, sometimes our families and what we think we, we ought to be doing as a, a good sibling, as a good child or parent, uh, may not be what uh, the Lord wants us to do or what He's called us to do in His service, and so... Ultimately, at the end of the day, the Lord's Word is the way, the direction that we go. Now, this is, I think this is important. I want to take a stop right here to ask this question, because in our own congregations, that it's important for us to emphasize walking um, in the way of the Lord. And and this is, this is important, because I think a lot of times we have a tendency to hear, okay, this is what the Lord wants, but this is what the world wants. And like you said, you have to hold back some of your instincts at times. What would be your encouragement when somebody might ask you in your church or in your preaching and teaching of the importance of following God's ways, God's word, uh, his law? Why is it important for us, especially when, well, I know I'm going to be forgiven anyways. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 6. Um, Why is it important for us to follow God's ways? Well, as Christians, our... You know, we follow God's ways out of trust in Him, recognizing who He is, and knowing that He has what's best in mind for us, that He has given us His, his instruction as a gift, and uh, because we recognize who He is and what He's done for us, we're motivated to obey and to follow out of love. You know, God is not up there trying to you know, ruin your fun and tell you all the, all the things that you really want to do that you can't do because He doesn't want you enjoying yourself. Uh, but the path that he lays out for us, this, this way uh, that he has revealed to us, uh, is because he wants us to uh, be happy, to be able to love one another, to live at peace with, with him and with, with our neighbors. And so it comes from trusting that my own instincts may not always be right, what the world tells me, even maybe what my family or other people who are influential on me might, may, may tell me one thing, but at the end of the day, the Lord is the one who... Uh, 
gives us the, the way that will lead to you know, true peace and happiness in the end. Now, we receive a few more laws here, and I'm going to be really interested to how we, how we unpack this because it can be incredibly misapplied, and it can be incredibly, it can create Pharisees or complete shame. So um, I think I'm ready for this. So let's, let's go 8 through 11 and see how we can unpack this. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you. When you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It should be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are distinguished between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel and the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So there's a lot of... uh, uh, where we could end with this. We could say, oh, well, here it is, one-to-one, problem solved. What He's saying, don't have strong drink. What does that mean for them? What does that mean for us? So strong drink here, really just think about this as beer. I mean, I, I'm a brewer myself. I could go through all the history here, but the easiest way to think about this is it's a grain-based uh, alcohol rather than the, uh, the, the, the grape juice, which would be the wine. But any sort of intoxicating beverage, they're not to drink when they are on duty. And there's a couple of reasons for this. Uh, some people have hypothesized, well, maybe Nadab and Abihu were drunk. That's why they grabbed the wrong fire. They were just uh, being careless. And so that's just a reminder to be of, of clear head when you're, when you're serving the Lord. And of course, that's, that's obviously a good, good thing in general. But we tend to think about things in a more materialistic, physical sense, whereas in the biblical perspective, there's a lot deeper spiritual meaning to this as well. And drinking, consuming alcohol in that those circumstances often had a spiritual component to it. Uh, it would maybe think about it as, as changing your own consciousness. Uh, there was the drinking of alcohol connected with funeral uh, ceremonies in some of these pagan cultures. And that is probably how this gets tied in because we've just talked about funeral rites in the previous paragraph there. Um, and also, when when priests would go on duty, again, in some of these pagan religions, part of it may have in, involved uh, using some of these uh, substances that would, would change your, or alter your mood or your, uh, your consciousness. So the idea isn't that, you know, drinking, consuming wine or, or, or alcohol is, is always and completely evil all the time. There are certainly places where it's commanded by God as part of the Passover rite and, and other places and re- explained as a, a gift that God gives to us. Um, but when the priests are on duty, they need to distinguish what they are doing from the religious practices of all their neighbors and the people around them and to recognize that this is not something that the Lord has given them to do when they're on duty. And so by uh, distinguishing what is holy from what is common, uh, clean and unclean is basically saying that uh, service to the Lord is done the Lord's way and not by imitating some of the practices that you see of the other religions and the other uh, cults going on around you. And that, how is that, how would you relate that to today? Because that's an important uh, way you just said that was how, how do we make sure that we are distinctively um, practicing what we preach, I suppose you would say, uh, practicing and showing that this is a Christian way to do something. And 
And that's a major component to what you just said. How would you relate that to today as Christians, as we live our Christian faith? Right. So we are Christians living in the midst of people who are not. Uh, and it can be tricky sometimes to decide what do I follow along with? What do I, where, where does my conscience tell me is, is right and wrong here? And the first thing is to remember that our, our conscience is always informed by God's word first and foremost. And what is holy to us uh, begins with the Lord and who he is as the Holy One, and then the holy things that he gives to us, making us a holy and holy baptism, his holy word, uh, the, the body and blood of Christ and the Lord's Supper. These are the holy ways that the Lord is connecting with us, not the, the same way as he did in the Old Testament, of course. And so we have these, these means of, of sanctification that, that, that make us holy, uh, and to, to recognize what a wonderful gift those are and not to neglect them or misuse them, but to, to rejoice that God continues to uh, make us his holy people and putting us in the midst of, of other people and other situations around us so that um, we can then know how to, how to live and how to approach our neighbors as holy people who have been made holy by the, the holy things of God uh, and give, give thanks for those, those gifts. I'm not sure if that's where you're going with that. So I got another so. idea. I, I, I was asking the question simply because that's one of the, well, one, I know you're, you're very good at this. And one of those questions that keeps coming up in my own mind and from our guest, okay, you're saying that Leviticus really relates, you know, I mean, this relates to us somehow. And typically we talk as if it doesn't. And that's why I, I think you impacted well. This is the, the reality of being Christian sets us apart. The priests were set apart. We are set apart. And they were given this instruction. So we can't make it a one-to-one. Okay, you can't drink alcohol. But it definitely points us to a, a greater truth of how, uh, how we are to live Christianly in a dark world, uh, to be lights in the midst of darkness and so forth. That, that was kind of my direction. I think you went there, unless you wanted to add to it. No, that, that, that's fine. I just wanted to make sure I was kind of covering what you had in mind there. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, let's keep moving forward, verses 12, and we'll go through 15. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithmar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offerings and eat it, un- and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offerings, for so I commanded. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you. For they are given as your due and your son's due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring the food offerings of the fat peace to wave for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due forever, as the Lord has commanded. So we we kind of have a, a, we're going back, you know, we're going back to the offerings world. We had this story, we see the importance of following his will. Now we, now we get back to Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithmar, and he gives these instructions. Tell us about these instructions and what Moses is doing. So the first thing to note is that uh, 
this is a gracious act of God to continue to give these gifts to the priests. It's, he could have very easily said, okay, Aaron, you and your family have messed this up. We're going to take the priesthood away from you and give it to someone else. Um, but this is showing the the affirmation of the Lord who has chosen uh, Aaron and his sons to be priests to uh, continue on with this. And part of the uh, what the priests would receive in their service was food. Uh, this may seem kind of logical, but the more you think about it, when the, the land is divided up uh, in the Promised Land when they cross the Jordan River, when they're settling down there, the priests do not get any land. The, the, the tribe of Levi doesn't get a plot of land the same way that Judah and Simeon and Issachar and all those other families do. So the priests really... Is a, is a situation of poverty. They don't have a plot of land for them to raise crops on, to raise animals on, to support themselves and their families. So they must depend on the people to uh, to provide for them. But what's interesting is that the people don't just simply you know, go to the go to the temple and write a check. But what the priests get are portions of these holy offerings, these most holy gifts in some cases that are given to the Lord. So remember, I'm, I'm assuming that probably Pastor Kleinick talked about this a bit with you, but that, that designation most holy are the gifts that actually impart holiness to those who receive them. So this is part of God's ongoing way of sanctifying and making his priesthood holy, includes eating this uh, part of the grain offering. So there's a difference between this being most holy eating in the holy place, uh, and just the priest doing this. Uh, on the other hand, you have a few pieces of meat that are part of these peace offerings, where those are the offerings that the people would then receive back from the Lord to celebrate and to uh, rejoice in with their families. But there was a part of that that was given to the priest on duty, who would then uh, be able to share that gift with, with their families as long as it's eaten in a, in a clean place. So uh, this is simply part of being a priest is having this connection between God and the rest of the people. The people bring their offerings to the Lord, and then the Lord uh, gives a portion of these to the priests, in some cases to continue with their, their sanctification and to give them his holiness. In other cases, just simply to sustain them and their families as relying on him. So it makes the people, it makes the priests dependent both on the people and the Lord. They can't be, you know, independently wealthy, raising their own uh, herd of cattle or, uh, or growing fields and fields of grain. But uh, it recognizes this place that they hold between the Lord and His people in depending on both of them for both sustenance and uh, for holiness. I think that's one part that is very interesting to me because I think when we th when we look at Leviticus, we kind of assume, just like it would be for a pagan god in those days and even today, where they'll make they'll they'll lay out an offering for the Lord and it just goes to waste. You know that they'll put out this food. If you go to different parts of the world, they put out this food for their gods, or they'll build a, a big shrine to their loved one who has died, and they'll put out these items, and they go to waste. At the meantime, there's a person down the street dying of hunger. It makes no sense. And but the distinction of a, of the Christian God, of the Triune One, True God, is that these sacrifices not only go to the Lord, a, a pleasing aroma to the Lord, the forgiveness that's received, but also is extended to serving the neighbor which I find 
which is quite fascinating. And I'm going to ask this question again because it just comes up in, in our minds is this is what they did, and it extended as mercy to the priests and their families. Um, how in the same way does that happen for us, that, that we have these gifts, the Lord gives us everything, we extend to the neighbor? How would you relate this text, these verses, about this way of offering in our world today? It's a reminder to us that everything we have comes from the Lord. Uh, no matter how we receive that, it's always a gift from Him. And we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And the Lord does, but uh, He doesn't rain down manna from heaven the same way that He, he did for the Israelites in the, the wilderness. He uses our neighbors uh, to work along with us to, to provide that food for ourselves and our families. So kind of in that, that second case, there's this idea that and we're, we're all in this together. We're not approaching God independently of uh, the congregation or our neighbor, but we're with this very communal idea of, of providing and, and caring for one another. Uh, but also that and these are not these are these are these are holy gifts, and so this can relate also to the the holy food that we receive uh, from the Lord's altar in in communion that we're receiving the, the bread of heaven there in, in Jesus Christ that not only sustains our, our body, but also uh, spiritually pro- provides us with that, that ongoing holiness from him that uh, makes us his holy people for our continued life and service to him as the holy priesthood that God has set apart. So as you look at the towards the end, it's very important, as you said so well, for us to think about ways in which uh, we we give and how we first of all our giving is reflective on how we see it, how we see the gifts that we have, the family, the 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 possessions, the the gift of the body and blood of Christ, and and what what is this? It's important for us to see it through the right filter in order for us to live appropriately. And I would say that was, that's kind of the beginning of this is that they were not seeing it in faith, the the lighting of the censer. They were seeing it like we said my way or the highway, or my way, not God's way. You can go all day if you wanted with all that. Um, and it's really something that is quite humbling um, to, for us to remember is all of it is a gift of the Lord. So as uh, the first 15 verses, anything else you wanted to highlight before we get to the end of our text? I think we're ready to, to uh, continue on. All right, verses 16, and we'll go to the end. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar and surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy, and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary, as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have, they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. And yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. Well, this story has a few twists and turns, especially when you look at the first three verses, you kind of expect the same thing. But what happens here? Tell, break the story down for us. 
Right. So it is it is a bit confusing, and even you know, the, the various commentators and biblical scholars who who write on this aren't always on the same page as far as what what is going on here. But we have what seems to be another act of rebellion by Aaron, very similar to his his sons. Uh, but in this case, it's not in that he's he's doing something he shouldn't be doing, but he's not doing something that he uh, was expected of him, which is to uh, consume this portion of the the sin offering, uh, and Moses calls him on it. You know, this is your duty. This is what's been given you to do. Uh, why didn't you do it? And then Aaron responds that, you know, see what happened to to my sons. Uh, I don't want to risk incurring the wrath of God. And probably what's going on here is that uh, he's being overly cautious because he. He doesn't want to risk uh, another one of these interactions with the, the most holy things of God that could be uh, deadly to him, or probably more and more importantly, displeasing to God if he is somehow sharing in the guilt of the responsibility for the, the mistakes of his sons. He doesn't want to uh, do something that would upset or, or, or further that by pretending it wasn't a big deal. And so this is, uh, it's like he's being cautious, right? Is that kind of, he's being cautious to to not make the same mistakes, but it's still, what, what were some of the things that commentaries told you on how this gets reconciled or how we can reconcile this? Because it still kind of leaves you with more question marks. Any any theories that you found? Well, the, the, the big question is you know, whether Aaron was right or whether Moses was right. Uh, <laughs> if he really should have done this and he didn't, or that you know, Aaron is kind of correcting Moses here because Moses didn't quite under, understand the situation. The, the way it kind of ends is just, well, you know, Moses is, is okay with the, the, the end result here. Uh, but the, the, the big, you know, the, the question is, uh, was it, should he, should he have eaten it or should he not have eaten it? You know, was, was Moses right in and initially uh, reproving him here. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, Aaron and his son survived, so uh, <laughs> there, there's no lasting consequences for what, what they've done here. Uh, but it almost seems as though you know, Aaron understands the situation better than, than Moses at this point in knowing that uh, what has been done by his sons uh, has not acknowledged the holiness of the Lord. And so he wants to make sure that he acknowledges that uh, the Lord is holy, uh, that you know, perhaps I've been uh, affected by the uncleanliness of my, my sons and what they have done, whether their failure to distinguish what's common from what's holy. Uh, so uh, what he's really doing here is affirming the holiness of the Lord, and that's what uh ultimately is the best best course of action moving forward here. Yeah, yeah, right. And it, it, it is it is interesting. This does bring up a question. We have a little bit of time. It does bring up a question that is really important for us in 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 our our church body, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, is that we will say that the word of God is inerrant. Um, infallible is our language. That is without error and uh, tells the truth. And 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 Sometimes you get to a text and you're like, boy, what does that mean? And you have one guy that says, well, I think it's this. Another guy says, I think it's this. And as we look at that, we kind of end with, well, we don't fully know. 
Sometimes that can be hard for people to reconcile, especially if you're young in your faith. How would you encourage someone who hears that and goes, well, wait a second here, I thought we knew the Word of God. What would you tell them? That's a, a great point to bring out is there, there's a couple things going on here. Is we're not debating about what actually happened, uh, you know, whether this, these events, as recalled here, uh, took place and that they're important. And they're still meaningful, meaningful for us today. That's really not part of the discussion here. We, we agree that, uh, and you find a lot, a lot of the commentators who may have that same idea that, you know, yes, this is an important event. Uh, this is still God's word for us. Even the Old Testament still speaks to us, which you've been, been bringing out throughout all of this. Uh, but there are certainly points all along the way that uh, when it comes to the application or even the precise meaning of understanding what's going on, uh, we simply can't grasp or we have differing ideas as far as what that is. So generally speaking, there's a couple principles. We, we tend to take the more clear and the easy, more easily understandable verses of, of the scriptures to help us to understand what might be a little bit difficult for us. So even if this one passage may be tricky, we still have a lot of other places in the Bible that may treat a similar topic or idea that we can use that to help us. Uh, we have the, the gift of being able to listen to what other uh, smart people have, have said about it, which may not be binding on our consciences, but may help us to understand. But it's a, simply a reminder that we are fallen humans and our, our mind can't grasp the, the wonder and the glory of God. You don't want a God that you can understand all, all the time. Uh, you, that would mean that you were somehow superior and could grasp everything that there was about him. But you should expect when you open the scriptures that the almighty, eternal uh, God, who is uh, so much beyond our ability to, to grasp or comprehend, is going to say and do things that may not always make sense or uh, seem uh, like this what we're expecting. And so you should uh, just first of all recognize that this is going to be the fact. And it, you know, Luther says it often, I forgot the exact quote, but he, he gives thanks in these moments for the fact that, that God is, is beyond our, our ability and our, uh, our comprehension. And it points to how wonderful and how great and how glorious uh, he is. And it gives us the uh, impetus to dig further and to explore more. It's like you know, going into a, a new new country, a new, a new setting. You know, we start off by talking about moving. Yeah. You know, I, I like to do hiking. I like to get out into the wilderness. And there's, there's something uh, exciting about going to a new place and discovering and exploring and recognizing I'm going to have some experiences here that I might not be able to grasp right away, but that's encouragement to continue on and to continue to learn and grow in, in your faith and in, uh, in your understanding of, of the Lord and to recognize the, these ongoing opportunities to dig deeper into difficult stuff, even if it's you know, some of this, this ritual legislation in Leviticus. And that's, that's so comforting to hear because, one, one of the best moments that I've had is when I've had like a professor type get asked a question by probably some punk, you know, first year seminarian or something. And the professor just says boldly, I don't know. 
it doesn't really matter. And then you move on. Right. And, all, and at the same time, when you are able to say, as a pastor, as a Christian, you know, I don't know. And I don't think, you know, that we're going to leave that in God's hands, not my own. And that's exactly how you explain that so well. Because there's parts of the story we don't understand, but we do know the basics. So with about a minute left here, Pastor, how would you summarize this chapter for us today? Well, here we see, first of all, very clearly the consequences of our, our sinfulness and our desire to do things our own way. Uh, but in through it all, we see that God continues to impart his holiness to, to his people. For us as Christians, it's Jesus who bore that punishment and uh, the consequences of our sin for us. And so we receive the grace and the life and the, the holiness that he comes to us so we can approach God with confidence, knowing that he's not going to destroy us, but that he will uh, love us and forgive us for Jesus' sake. Reverend Dr. Mark Burkholz of Zion Lutheran Church of Naperville, Illinois, giving us God's strong word from Leviticus chapter 10. Dr. Burkholz, thank you again for being, being our guest. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Saints of our Lord, there needs to be holiness with a holy God, and it is obvious that Nadab and Abihu were not holy, and they paid the consequence. For us, we realize the same thing. We're not holy. We're not following his laws. But by his grace, his holiness was given unto us, imputed upon us by the grace of Christ. In your baptism, you receive that holiness in communion by the word, by his forgiveness, by his grace, all that he showers upon you. For this, we can see Leviticus 10 with a whole new light because, once again, it shows us Christ. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.